Hey, welcome or welcome back to the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast. I'm your host Chris Desmond. This is the show where we make it easier for you to do hard stuff. Today we're joined by your favourite mind mate, Tom Ahern. Now some of you will remember Tom from back in episode 92 of the podcast. That one came out the 30th of January. So it was about a year ago that this podcast came out with Tom. And today is it's really a bit of a catch up on what we've been up to in the last year this conversation kind of cuts in part way through a conversation a chat that we were having I thought oh man this would be great to record so I hit record we've been talking for a couple of minutes already but to fill you in it was we were just having a catch up about what what we'd been up to over the last year and for the regular listeners you'll know that in the last year I have become a dad, I've started a business among other things so a couple of couple of big things there and Tom has uh, published a book and he has moved to Bali and currently he's living in France for a little while so big things for, for Tom as well. And this conversation is, uh, we, we jump into it when we start to talk about uncertainty and uncertainty around outcomes uncertainty around projects that we're taking on it gets deep it gets reasonably philosophical at some points kind of meaning of life sort of stuff what it's all about but with a lot of a lot of discomfort wrapped up in there and there's some strategy here but often it's, it's talking about the ideas of discomfort and how we deal with with it personally I'm sure you guys will get a lot out of it, but it's potentially a little bit less practical than some of the other chats that we've had. Thank you all so much for getting uncomfortable with Tom and I today. That was about 100, 120 years ago, but I still believe that to be very true. You know, we often imprison ourselves behind these sort of mind walls because we don't know what's out there in the unknown. You know, and there's a lot of responsibility that comes with living in the unknown. Even from just a very obvious example, if you chunk yourself out there in the forest and, you know, you've got nothing but a, a knife, you best be ready to just constantly be thinking about the future, constantly be thinking about survival. You know, that's a lot of responsibility in this day and age. You know, the most responsibility I had this morning was making sure that the Wi-Fi connection was pretty spot on. So that's the differences between the known and the unknown. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Uh, should have a chat with Kai Ferno about that one, eh? Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's legendary. Yeah, she's great value, eh? Um, yeah, no, mm. it's, it's interesting, eh? And I think putting yourself in, in situations like that as well, and it doesn't have to be quite to that, that extreme, the, the naked and afraid sort of yeah. kind of situation, but that consistent challenge, and hopefully it's a reasonably strategic challenge that you, that you take on and, mm. and kind of work towards that is uncomfortable and, and kind of generates those survival skills in yourself as well it's super important to to be engaged in life and, and be living life in a fulfilling manner yeah uh, absolutely man did you find any of that with with obviously being a father now I'm sure you did we, you know reading up on all the books and researching you had you know what to do when you are a father when you have one it's just completely like you just could not be I don't know more or less unprepared I'm interested mm. Yeah, it's an interesting thing, eh, becoming a dad. And prior to becoming a dad, there was there's a reasonable amount of fear that goes on 
like, am I going to be a good dad? Am I going to be able to keep this kid alive? And what if I, what if I say something or do something that messes him up and in his future life? And yeah. <laughs> like, I, I scar the poor boy. Yeah, that's and right. there's a like, don't come in. <laughs> <laughs> there's a bit of ruminating, yeah. I think, that goes on around that, and I like. From from the people that I've talked to, I think, especially the dads, I think that's kind of a natural response. For for mothers, I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure. Obviously, they have different hormonal responses that are going on to to what we do. But yeah, there's there's that fear and there's that uncertainty beforehand, and then they show up, and like one day you're not a dad, and then the next day you are a dad, and like it's super hard, and it's it's super challenging in terms of kind of figuring stuff out but at least for me it feels amazingly natural it feels Mm. like this is one of the things that I'm supposed to be doing with my life that I'm supposed to be looking after this little human and kind of helping to grow him into a man and like there's a lot of stuff that I need to learn along the way with it and I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that he's going to teach me along the way with it as well but it's amazing kind of the, the biology that, that kicks in with it. And I was talking to my wife about it as well because he's not the greatest sleeper out there. There's a few, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a bit of bit of sleep deprivation. My wife has it far worse than I do because I've got worthless nipples. So I don't, I don't have to get up nearly as often. But it's just... I don't know if they're that bad, mate. Oh, they're, they're all right, eh? It's, it's lucky that we're on audio, eh? <laughs> But in terms of like how cute babies are, we're just mm. talking about, oh man, it's so lucky that they are cute because otherwise you can you could just get so pissed off with them as well. And I think yeah. it's, I'm biased in this. I think our baby is reasonably cute, but every parent says that, I think, even if their baby yeah. is a bit of a minger. So, yeah. <laughs> so right. biologically, I think you're wired to think, Oh yeah, this baby is is cute. It's a, it's a good looking baby. I want to I want to look after it. Yeah, yeah. Look, I'd be happy if um you know even when I have a kid, you know, it's a strong six. At least <laughs> yeah. that way, it's above it's above average. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. What sort of stuff you've been doing with the business? Because last time we spoke, you were going to get into um a bit of coaching and workshops and mm. things like that. I'm pretty sure that sort of stuff's come to fruition now, has it? Yeah, yeah. I'm running a workshop actually in about two weeks' time. I ran one at the end of last year and it was good. It was a a massive learning experience for me, but... um, like it was such a it was such a fun and a valuable tool and I think the the guys that were there got a lot out of it and at least the feedback right. was was really good mm. maybe they were too uncomfortable to give me bad feedback yeah <laughs> yeah but like yeah, yeah, yeah we liked it six six yeah. out of ten um <laughs> The baby's good looking too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bro. Yeah, really, really fun. Just trying to figure out the best way to kind of deliver it at the moment. If um, if this kind of live workshop sort of thing is is the best approach, just to try and drag mm. individuals into it, or thinking about hey, how could I deliver something like this in a corporate environment as well, where it's a little bit less legwork in terms of. Mm. You well, you deal with one person, then you can de- deliver to a whole lot rather than trying to deal with a whole lot and then get them all together on a on a date. Yes, but yeah, started doing a little bit of a little bit of coaching with uh, some people as well, and and at the moment that kind of looks like a, just like a four week block of 
getting people started and getting them over the hump of that uncomfortable and running with a like a strategic challenge that they want to take on mm-hmm. so often a couple of the people that have come to see me have already had things that are like cool I want to work on this but I'm really struggling I'm finding it really difficult and then we sort yeah. of work through the process there a couple of other people have like have come to me and they're a little bit more vague in regards to yeah. Okay, I know I want to do something, but I'm not quite sure what it is. So a lot of the initial stuff is kind of problem solving around what is it that you actually want to do? And like it doesn't have to be this kind of massive purpose, passion kind of statement or project that people get so hung up on that before that, even like before you even get to that comes curiosity. Yeah, I I think you're... People kind of wait for like purpose and passion to sort of drop in their lap, but actually it's a process that you go through and and it's something that you you search out and that you look for. You try a bunch of shit and most of it you don't like, (laughs) so you Mm -hmm. stop doing it and then you go and do something else. And so, yeah, with the people that I work with, it's kind of been that, that strategic direction of, hey, this kind of looks interesting or I want I think I want to go over here how do I get the ball rolling how do I kind of get over that hump with it and it's been good like the the four-week block is a nice one to just sort of push the boat off and some people at the end of it have been like cool I'm good I can keep going by myself and other people are like it'd be valuable to have a catch-up sort of on a on a monthly or six-weekly basis and just sort of problem solve do some do some thinking around things um it's been interesting and like it's it's quite mm. similar to my role as a physiotherapist as well in that hey someone comes in with a problem we sit down we figure out what the problem is mm. we figure out where they want to go and then mm. we get them there that's and exactly right yeah, it's, it's the same thing but less anatomical yeah exactly right yeah now, you, you touched on um, a really good point before about um, people wanting to try to find this thing to do in life that is them. And this is, this is essentially the what the first third, more or less second third of the book that I'm writing now, it deals with in its entirety. So it's, it's, it's the idea of a meaningful pursuit in life, you know, as opposed to a, a happy pursuit in life. But one of the things I found, because I wanted to write this book in a way that coincided with what I was actually dealing with in life and wanted to take the reader on a journey of the awareness of an existential crisis, the descent into the bubbling of where this crisis manifests itself in the darkness of the mind and then how to eventually come through that and ascend into this place of a bit more knowing and a bit more self-understanding at least so that you have the tools to be able to continue in life um, so that such a crisis doesn't occur again. Because I, to some degree, when I came out of my bout of mental health issues, I, so I, I lost an identity. So my ego um, detached itself from wanting to play in the AFL. Um, all of these things were bubbling up from below the surface. And I didn't know what they were. And that was the spark of the mental health issues. And all those sorts of things were arising that I'd never really given time for because I was so obsessed with, with an idea that I had in my head from a, from a very young age. And I, I really believe in, in role models and heroes 
and I believe in having a goal, but it is important to know whether or not that goal is 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 uh, disingenuous or not, and if it is authentic towards who you are as a person. And you're never going to know for sure. You're never going to find a single goal that's like this is this is what I was put on the earth to do, you know. But more or less, the more you spend time with yourself and get to know yourself, the more the goals that you write down for yourself come more intrinsically aligned. So it's exactly like what you said before. You you know you don't find the thing and then that's what it is. You know you you scout out, you reach out, you look, you look, you look, and eventually there's this kind of like path that's you know far less imbalanced than it once was previously. And you know hopefully by old age you you've had a good life of um, trying lots of things and having your ups and your downs. You know, but essentially that was. That was me and I came out of it. And then I just attached myself to another goal of wanting to change the world in terms of anxiety, you know, with, with mental health. And there was so much ego in that, just as there was in terms of wanting to make the AFL. And ego is so important, you know. It's it's very important. But it, it, it was this same thing of once I've changed the world with anxiety, then I'll be okay. Very similar to once I make the AFL, then I'll have all the money and the girls, yada, yada, yada. So I moved away from the mind mate completely. It's just called the podcast now. And then I, I just kind of sat in this existential slump and, you know, my partner and I, who I love to bits, we moved to Bali and, you know, completely we packed, we uh, sold all of our things and I just had this new life ready to go and I couldn't help but feel like if I wasn't prepared to take the journey on, the only other way I describe it was like a bit of a depression quite feeling because I just felt really, really lost. And then I started to read more and writing has become a way for me to reflect and learn. And that's essentially what the book is. It's it's taking the reader through a journey like that. And my overall message from it, which I learned myself, which was don't shy away from exactly what you're saying. Don't shy away from the uncomfort. And that can get extremely uncomfortable. Don't shy away from even to the core, the shit that's biting away at your soul. You know, if, if you have if you classify yourself as someone that does have depression, and there are many different examples of what depression is to people, so this is a, this is a general cue, and I won't say that this is the only way to do it because, as we all know, different sort of methods work for different people. But there is something away, something in you that's eating away at you. Listen to it because it could be trying to tell you something. And there there is a, a really interesting there's a really interesting kind of conjunction that occurs between the unconscious and the and the conscious mind. And the way those kind of intertwine with each other, I really believe that the unconscious mind, everything that we're scared of, is actually on your side. And you can listen to it through the interpretation of dreams. You can listen to it by what your emotions are telling you. You can listen to it as you detach yourself from everything that's going inside you and write it out as though you're having a conversation with it. And you come out on the other side and you really start to learn a lot about yourself. So that's essentially what the book was about. But it was that idea that what you said about before, which was, don't wait for life to give you its answers. You actually have to prove to life what your answers are. And that's something that Viktor Frankl said. He said, people often look to life and go, what is the meaning of life? But you should kind of look at life and, and sit, you should sit down life and be like, hey, this is, this is what the meaning is going to be for me. You know, because you, you're on this earth for a reason. So you can do that. I like that stream of consciousness there, Tommy. One of the really important things that you mentioned there is time as well yeah and it's actually kind of taking the time and make making it a priority for yourself to sit down and, and review the stuff and have a look at your goals and say actually why why do i want to do this is this something that is 
like really value is going to give me a lot of value intrinsically like changing the the world in regards to anxiety is a like it's a cool goal it's a it's a massive goal but <laughs> yeah it's maybe the I don't world know, need to be afl yeah. anxiety exactly <laughs> You could anxiety you could both. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, like taking the time to to look and actually try and understand that for yourself and and figure out, you know, actually the motivations behind this probably aren't quite right for me, mm. and it's really easy not to to spend that time looking at that stuff, especially because it's quite uncomfortable to get started and to and to jump into yeah, it yeah. as well, and mm. like. I was having a conversation with with someone today. Actually, is that I mean the the world that we that we live in and the environment that we kind of set ourselves up in for the most part is an environment that doesn't really allow us a heap of time to spend time with ourselves. And we were having a conversation around boredom, and mm. no one is bored anymore. That like if you start yeah, to get bored or you start to feel uncomfortable for five seconds, boom, pull out the phone. You're on, you're on social media, which again is a is a great tool. But actually mm. spending a little bit of of time to look at and understand yourself, I, th- I think is a it's a massively underrated kind of skill to to develop. And like it was, I don't know if we talked about this much last time that you were on my podcast cast or last time I was on yours but I mean that's kind of one of the one of the things that I didn't do when I was when I was younger that that's one of the things that really got me into the rut that I was in I think in my in my early to mid-20s is that I was trying to live my life the way that I thought society expected to me to um I was this insecure young dude that was seeking validation and all these kind of external things and I didn't really take time to, to sit with myself and look at the motivations behind that or start to question those assumptions. And the, the funny thing is that I have a lot less time now, but I spend more time doing it um, and yes. asking myself those hard questions. But like to get into that, that mindset and to start kind of explore that stuff myself and to, to ask myself those hard questions and figure out that stuff was ridiculously uncomfortable initially. Yeah. Like I knew something wasn't right that I was, I was sitting there, I was unhappy, I was un, unhealthy, I was unfulfilled. And I had this kind of that the subconscious mind giving me the sense of discomfort saying, Hey, something's mm. not right. There's something you, you need to change something. Um, or the way that you're living isn't it doesn't kind of connect with who you want to be as a person but trying to go about and do that from a practical sense of is is really hard because when you start asking yourself those questions you start to get some pretty gnarly answers coming back at you and the way that I look back on it now and the way that I think of it now is it's kind of like a physical training like if you're if you're going down and you're training then you're going to be pretty shit when you start out because you've just been sitting on the couch and you haven't been doing much stuff. So you go in there and you do a little bit of stuff and then you'll need to go away and you'll need to go and have a rest for a while. Um, Mm. And then if you overtrain, then you're going to wipe yourself out for a week where you're not going to be Mm. able to straighten your arms out. So you can't train anymore. And then when you come back in, you're a bit tentative. You go a little bit slower or, or you've gone backwards a little bit and... Like 
those those initial phases of of spending time with myself and kind of starting to ask myself some harder questions was a little bit like that is that like getting into the gym when you start off or starting out starting out running or learning a new skill and i think mm. kind of i'm i'm thankful in a way that like i was a i was a kid that grew up in new zealand in the 80s in semi-rural New Zealand so I was always outside and I played a lot of sport and like I got I was good at training like I yeah I love exactly. training like mm. it's it's great I some people just like competing but I actually like going and training like when I was mm. younger me and um, the neighbor would play test match cricket in the backyard for like <laughs> 10 days in a row um, I was always yeah. I was always Pakistan for some reason. I think it was Waka Yunus. <laughs> eh? I love Waka Yunus. Um, but like we, you go well, down as a lot funnier than you intended it to be. <laughs> yeah, you God. go you go down and um, play in the nets for like three or four hours, and you'd just bowl the ball. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, th- I think that kind of love of training actually stood me in quite good stead to keep coming back and, and mm. asking myself those questions. And mm. like, I still ask myself some of them now and, uh, oh, yeah. and you don't like the answers that come up and some of them are a bit uncomfortable and some of them are a bit mm. frustrating because you can't figure out the answer, but it's, God, it's exactly. the habit and it's the, uh, yeah, it, it's the continually coming back to it that kind of over the course of, a month or six months or a year just helps you evolve as a person. Absolutely. Oh, 100%. And I think um, something that I've really um, tried to make the habit of, of remembering is that we're not made to have all the answers whilst we're alive, you know. And every time you think that – because we're set up to problem solve, you know, and that that's how we've evolved and it's so much – so much of the brain's wiring is set up so that we can solve problems and, and figure things out. That's why we've become the most dominant species, you know. So we have this beautiful problem-solving mechanism within us. And then we have this sort of almost like a spiritual existential crisis of wanting to know all the answers that we can't possibly know whilst we're here. So we, we always have this fighting internal battle within ourselves to want to figure out all these answers that we can't possibly know. But at the same time, accept that and then paradoxically try to figure all those ones out again. And it just, it, it, it's like this, um, Alan Watts called it the double mind where, where we're fighting to get to one place, but by getting to one place, we're excluding that the, we only know that place in, 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 in compensatory terms because of its opposite other. And the more we try to go to one place, the more we neglect this other place. So if you always want to be happy, you're basically just saying that you're sad now, but if you just said that you weren't sad now, you'd be happy right now. But there's always this really bizarre paradox going on all the time. And if you can take yourself out of that, it's just like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm essentially playing tug of war with my two hands here, you know, and I don't even need to be doing that. I'm just living, I'm just being right now, you know. Another example is we live in a, in a pleasure-seeking world, you know, necessarily. It's that idea that we – like like you said before, we don't have the chance to be bored anymore. That's not to say that we can't be bored anymore because you can take on that incentive and that responsibility yourself and lock yourself in a room if you, if you absolutely need to. There's something biting at your core. But it is it is harder and harder to, to spend time with yourself in this day and age. You know, 
more often than not as, as young men, you know, living a thousand years ago, we'd be told that we just have to go on, on a bloody pilgrimage and we just have to learn. And if we die, we die. But if we live, we can come back with some, some amazing stories of, and heroic tales, you know. But this day and age, like you said, you can get a little bit of a dopamine bump by, you know, whipping your phone out straight away. But we only know what pleasure feels like because we know what pain feels like. If we didn't know what pain felt like, we have, we'd have no understanding of the pleasure in and of itself. So you can look at that in every single facet of life with the labels that we put on things. We only know something in relation to its other. So if we stop trying to fight for happiness all the time, we're probably going to stop being sad. And then we can live in this beautiful sort of content space where everything is meaningful, but nothing is meaningful at the same time. But it doesn't matter because everything is. So it's a union of opposites idea. It's really interesting. Mm, that's that's heavy, man. That is heavy. Um, it, it is quite heavy. <laughs> when you like when you think about that, um, the it, it's sometimes it seems like a very black or white thinking. That mm. it's you're either sad or you're happy. That it is. Mm. But the well, the way that I think about it anyway is it's it's a it's a continuum. And it's uh, and you move back and forth along that continuum, and like I think, like mm. one of the best ways to think about it would be mental health. That if you're not mentally unwell, are you actually mentally healthy, or yeah, are you just right. not? Like health isn't the absence of disease. That yeah, that I think like I I, I like that continuum idea, but I think it like I think it couples quite well with with the stuff that you were talking about there that these things kind of sit at a re, either end of a continuum and, and we're we're so caught up in trying to get to one end of the continuum that hey yeah. this is this is kind of peak happiness or this is peak um whatever it is that you're that you're working on and that you understand hey there's the there's the opposite there but you don't already see mm-hmm. that Hey, I'm I'm seventy five percent of the way along that continuum already. Mm. That, but because I'm only looking towards that that happiness and that extra twenty five percent that I don't have, mm. I don't see where I'm sitting at the moment, and I don't see what it is, and I don't, I'm not grateful, and I'm not enjoying or kind of being present in myself as I am at the current time. Mm. Because it's always that it's always that comparison. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that if we could just, you know, I don't, I don't really have the answer. You know, I don't know because I think even the idea of desiring, you know, we, we can move from pursuing happiness to pursuing meaning. But you know, the opposite of well, if you desire, if you're in a state of wanting to pursue something, you're only always going to be pursuing it. You'll never arrive there. You know, so mm. there's always there's always this opposite idea that's kind of flickering in the back of the mind, where it's like, okay, now I need to find something meaningful. But is every is anything going to be truly meaningful to you if you're always in the pursuit of it? Because you'll never know. You'll you'll be you'll be trying an infinite amount of things without ever really staying on one line to find it anyway. So there's no real one answer to live life, you know. But I just think it, I think it's just coming down to passion project. Have a passion project, eat well, sleep well, spend some time with yourself, a good couple of mates, you know? Mm. It's p- 
pursuit the meaning is pursuit the happiness though because i mean we're as humans we're kind of we love pursuing things as you say and we love problem solving things and Mm. like you pursue something and and sometimes you get it and sometimes you don't but the actual act of the the pursuit and the doing and the the learning as you go Mm. i think is the like it's it's the really valuable thing in in figuring out how we can enjoy ourselves or how we can be happy in parentheses Mm. in in that pursuit because if if all we're looking for is the is that kind of hit at the end of it and Mm. that that rush of dopamine when we achieve something it's really fleeting and to be honest you probably don't want heaps of dopamine rushing through your body all the time as well it'll mess you up um yeah (laughs) but that's the that's the one percent that the the ninety nine percent of life is is the pursuit of whatever yeah, it is that you're after yeah yeah and you hit you hit these achievements or something along the way but then if it as as you were saying at the start you'll be I'll be happy when mm. when you achieve this and when you achieve it then you just sit at the same level. And if you just sit yeah. at the same level as a human being, then you're actually sliding backwards. So it's absolutely it's b- becoming aware of the next thing that you want to pursue. And kind of to that to that point, and I think like my thought processes, sometimes I don't know what I'm going to say until I've actually said it. So I think this is one of yeah. those, those times. But... <laughs> That's me in life. <laughs> yeah. When... You think about that when you think about the the pursuit and about purpose as well, is that sometimes you can pick a purpose. And I don't think, I don't know that you need to have one overarching purpose for your entire life that, hey, maybe this is my purpose for this couple of years or uh, the six months or this decade. And then actually I I work on it and I do the stuff and then actually things change. Like I, I evolve as a person, my mm. environment evolves as well. And like, if you look at when we were born, what the world was like then compared to mm. what it's like now. And mm-hmm. like, if I think forward in 15 years time or 20 years time, when my, when my son is a, is a young man as well, it's like, what the hell is the world going to look like then? And who am I going to be at that point in time that, I would hope that my purpose is slightly different to what it is now. I was, having a, I was having a conversation with a dude and he quoted Cassius Clay to me, actually. Oh, yeah. And he was like, I really pity the man who is the same at 50 years old as he was at 20 years old because he just mm. wasted the last 30 years of his life. I love that. So spot on. Yeah. What the hell are you doing in France? Yeah, so we're we're living here. Um, we're living here on a farm for about two and a half, three months, and we we flew to to Scotland, and then we stayed in Ireland for a bit as well. Just doing a bit of the travel thing to catch up with Siobhan's family and some friends there, and we we found a house sit, and we're just living about three and a half hours south of Paris, and it's beautiful here, mate. It's really lovely. Thirty acres of land, heaps of sheep, heaps of horses. Spending a lot of time trying to figure out what, what we want to do for the next year. So yeah, it's good. It's really we wake up in the morning, do a bit of exercise, then we get to meditate and do some content and stuff. It's good fun. Awesome, bro. That sounds that sounds yeah. great actually. It is. It's good. It is good. It's bloody cold, but uh it's meaningful. <laughs> it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's the pursuit at the moment. All right, dude. Well I'll speak to you the next week then. Have a good one. See you mate. 
There you have it team, I hope you enjoyed that one. I really love chatting with Tommy and his take on, on life and what's going on. I'm looking forward to the next couple of books that he's, he's bringing out. He's working on a few at the moment. If you haven't read his one already, grab a copy of Yes I'm Fine, I'm Just Tired. And my son is helping me record the podcast today. But a couple of thank yous. Jylan, thank you so much for all your editing, mate. Jeremy, thank you so much for the theme music. And as always, thank you to you guys for taking the time out of your busy lives to get uncomfortable with Tom and I today. 